Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is Ruthanna Emrys. She is the author of the Innsmouth Legacy series, including Wintertide and Deep Roots and the Imperfect Commentaries collection. Her new book is A Half-Built Garden, which is published by our friends at Tor.com. Ruthanna, thank you for joining me. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. It's an honor to have you here, Ruthanna. And first, I need to ask you a question about your author bio. Please tell me about your penchant for providing unsolicited advice. I don't know how to answer that. Um, I am one of those people who has to remind myself that sometimes people just want to hear, oh, yes, that's, that doesn't sound fun. That sucks. Um, rather than getting full on problem solving mode. Uh, the fact that I'm a problem solver and not good at stopping problem solving is probably one of the reasons why I write books in which people have to solve problems. Hmm. Yeah, right on. Thank you so much. I was about to ask you if you had any unsolicited advice for me, but I guess that would then make it solicited advice so it doesn't really work. Um, well, let's now dive into this excellent novel, A Half-Built Garden. I could not put this book down, listeners. It is one of the best of its kind. Ruthanna, would you like to take a moment to set this novel up for our listeners? Uh, sure. This is, I have been describing it as a book about work-life first contact balance. It is uh, about uh, Judy Wallach-Stevens, who is a water chemist in 2083 and part of a watershed network that is one of the new types of government that is working on solving climate change. And it's a very good type of government for solving climate change. So, of course, I want to see how it uh, responds to a very different sort of problem, which this being me is aliens show up and mm -hmm. want to rescue everyone from Earth and take them all to live in space, which they think is where technological species belong. And so there is a lot of trying to communicate and come to some agreement about how to live peacefully together between uh, Earth and the aliens. And there are many different forces on Earth, some of whom are much more willing to abandon the planet and go into space if it means that they can have more power and influence. And there's also a lot of changing diapers. Yeah, right on. Thank you so much, uh, Ruthanna. Do you think that we are heading towards a climate catastrophe uh, here on Earth in real life? Is it inevitable this close in a future where your book takes place or do you think we can still turn this ship around i mean the book is about what i think is a very positive future of people working to turn it around um, mm -hmm. as for whether a climate catastrophe is inevitable we are already in one mm -hmm. um, we 
are facing less predictable and worse weather, heat waves, waves, um, you know, when I was a kid, there wasn't a season when everything in California was on fire. Um, and now there is, you know, we're, we're there. It's getting worse. We need to do something about it. I wanted to show one possible future in which we are. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. And we're, we're recording here. Um in mid-June as I just drove through uh, Missouri where it was about 112 degrees. Um, that is not normal, folks. So, Ruthanna, can you tell me about the difficulties of imagining a first contact scenario? Is it easy or are there considerations uh, when imagining how this might go down that our listeners may not be aware of? I don't know whether to describe it as easy or hard because first contact has always been my favorite subgenre of science fiction. How do we communicate with people who are very different from us is one of the most interesting questions to me and what sort of relationships are possible between people who think very differently. <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely. And certainly trying to come up with aliens who actually think more differently mm -hmm. from humans than humans from different cultures and backgrounds think from each other is a bit of a challenge. I think one of the easiest failure modes is to underestimate the amount of variation there is in humanity and therefore to think about what even more variation might look like while still making communication possible. Yeah, thank you. And Ruthanna, I have read a few novels lately where there is an alien race, uh, a race who is alien to us, and the race looks similar to spiders. Uh, why do you and why do you think others imagine that an extraterrestrial race would evolve to look something like spiders? more legs is better. I, I think for some people, it's, you know, thinking of something that feels very scary and different from the way humans are set up on Earth. Uh, for me, if you want something really alien on Earth, you're probably going down to a deep ocean vent but one of the things that is interesting to me is having something that looks just enough like something on Earth that people tend to have negative reactions to, to have overcoming that be part of the contact. Uh, the tree folk don't actually look all that much like spiders, as Ramathan would be the first to point out, but enough like spiders to ping the spider neuron in humans. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ruthanna. Listeners, we are going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsors, and then I will be right back with Ruthanna Emrys. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. 
Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Ruth Anna Emrys, author of A Half-Built Garden, which is published by our friends at Tor.com. Ruth Anna, an important part of conversation uh, with these extraterrestrials when this novel kicks off is that everybody uh, who is taking place in a conversation uh, is encouraged to have a child with them. Why is this? From a Watsonian perspective or a Doyleist perspective? <sighs> Whatever perspective you would like to provide. All right, so um, from within the story, the aliens have the cultural assumption that being a parent and particularly a mother is an indicator of leadership ability. And uh, this, aside from being obviously right, comes from their biology, uh, one of the species involved uh, does a lot of dominance struggles and the uh, person who ends up most dominant becomes the person who can carry the children and the others become their mates. So being the person who is there doing their equivalence of nursing the kids means that you have been able to convince a bunch of other people to support you and therefore other people should support you and this assumption has been taken up by the other alien species with whom they have become symbiotic from a doyleist perspective i I am a parent myself. I have kids. I don't see nearly enough stories out there where being a parent is really a part of having an adventure rather than an inconvenience that gets in the way of having the adventure, especially with small children. And so I wanted to write a situation in which not only were people who were having to deal with all of the exhaustion and work of taking care of a new baby got to still have adventures and do cool things, but where they were doing that because their parenting was an integral part of it. I'm also very interested in the ways in which parenting is political, the ways that it changes your perspective on the challenges that you and the society around you are facing and thinking about not just how does what I'm doing affect my own chances to survive and thrive, but how does this change the future that my kids will live in? 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. I found that very interesting, especially the idea that diplomatic relationships here on earth could be easier, uh, perhaps, if everyone were to bring their children along. Um, well, Ruthanna, can you tell me about the role that gender plays in this novel? Why some humans want to downplay gender and why some want to thrust it to the forefront uh, of the pageantry that is happening between the humans and the aliens? So part of gender being such a big part of this book was that I had a couple of people who read the Innsmouth Legacy books and then I saw them being homophobic and transphobic and I thought, wow, you really didn't get it. Let me make this something that you cannot miss if you are reading and enjoying the next book. Um, but also, I, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in queer community. Gender is a big part of the conversation there. And I wanted to write several cultures that handle gender very differently. And I should say that just as it is in our current conversation, uh, gender is a pretty big deal for most of the cultures involved in the book in very different ways. It is, uh, Judy's culture is probably the most familiar to us in that it has developed uh, the current mode of sharing your pronouns and telling people straightforwardly uh, what your gender is into something a bit more standard and formal. So people put out pronoun pins for uh, parties just as a matter of politeness and people wear pronoun badges if they care what pronouns people use for them. Uh, but when Judy sees that the aliens clearly have some sort of gender dynamic that she doesn't understand, she wants to hold off on sharing the way that her people think of gender with the aliens until she's confident that this won't result in them treating anyone badly over it. And for people who care quite a lot about um, how people perceive their gender, that is something that is very upsetting. Uh, separately, we also have the aliens who are, as I said, at least one of them has gender that's very different from the way that we'd recognize it, but that nevertheless results in people getting assigned female and male at various parts of their lifespan. And then the other species has a situation in which female eggs hatch much earlier than male eggs. And so brothers are raised by their sisters and Therefore, gender assigned at hatching is very deeply a part of the way that they think about the world. And so part of the book is about how these cultures with different ways of looking at and thinking about gender uh, start to learn from each other and how people in the different cultures have their own 
ideas about who and what they are that don't necessarily fit with their culture's ideas, regardless of what that culture is. <laughs> um, and then the other culture in the book that does a lot with gender, or at least something that looks like gender, is the culture of the corporations that have been exiled to artificial islands. Um, and they have gotten very into a form of very gender presentation that requires everyone to have several different wardrobes, uh, each of which goes along with a particular pronoun and a particular way of playing the social games that they spend a lot of their time in. Uh, they were a lot of fun to write. I'm also not sure if I ever again want to write a book with eight different sets of neo-pronouns, but their ways of thinking about gender are very different from all the other cultures in the book and lead to a lot of interesting conflicts. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ruthanna. Um, let's now talk about media. How likely is it when we make contact that the life forms we confront will understand us by way of our popular media uh that was honestly one of the conceits of the book i didn't want to write a whole book about uh, linguistic decoding and uh, sharing prime numbers so i found a way to avoid that but i honestly think that it's pretty unlikely that when we meet aliens, they will be really great at our languages just from watching our broadcasts. <sighs> yeah. Um, how likely do you think that humans here on Earth only understand ourselves by way of our popular media? I mean, no, we understand what it means to be human by our own experiences and interactions with people, but we... I think don't get a full picture of it in part because both the people and the media around us tend to be from a relatively narrow slice of human experience. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Ruthanna. Um, finally, to bring us full circle, do you think that humanity is currently better served by spending our efforts on saving our planet or on figuring out space colonization? I do tend to sit with Judy on this, that I think that we have not yet figured out how to make uh, livable an environment that was not previously livable for humans and that figuring out how to keep livable an environment that is already livable is the easy setting. So while I think they're both good directions to go, that if we can't figure out how to make a place where humans can live on Earth, we're going to have a hell of a time on Mars. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ruthanna, and thank you for writing this wonderful novel. I've been reading it as I'm driving and riding across the country in the 100 to 110 degree heat uh, here as we record again in mid-June 2022. It's Bloomsday right now as we speak. Uh, and it has been an eye-opening novel that is sure to be one of the best of the year. Listeners, I have been speaking with Ruthanna Emrys, author of A Half-Built Garden, which is published by our friends at Tor.com. Ruthanna, 
Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, I would like to thank Rufana Emrys for joining me. Copies of A Half-Built Garden can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com. I would also like to thank our sponsors, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process and quail ridge books raleigh north carolina's trusted community bookstore my name is jason jeffries and this has been booking